Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, hitting back on the carbon tax. The Prime Minister chose to make life more affordable for families in one part of the country while leaving Saskatchewan families out in the cold. The Saskatchewan Premier says the Trudeau tax exemption on home heating oil is unfair. So unless it is extended to all heating sources, Saskatchewan will stop collecting and submitting the carbon tax. Coming up, we will speak with Premier Scott Moe. Does the Prime Minister realize that he is not only bankrupting Canadians and leaving them in the cold, he's actually dividing our country? And with opposition to the carbon tax getting louder, will Liberals be forced to make more concessions? We will speak with MPs about the possibility. The best contracts are always those negotiated at a bargaining table. Plus, Two big strikes are now over and workers are back on the job. We'll speak to the Unifor president about the tentative deal struck with automaker Stellantis and the management of the St. Lawrence Seaway. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The Prime Minister is under pressure tonight to make more concessions on his carbon tax. This after last week's surprise announcement of a home heating oil carve-out. Now that exemption would apply nationally but effectively benefits Atlantic Canadians more than any others. So today the Saskatchewan Premier took a stand threatening drastic action if the Prime Minister did not extend a tax break for all. As Premier, I cannot accept the federal government giving an affordability break to people in one part of Canada, but not here. So today, I am calling on the federal government to offer the same carbon tax exemption to Saskatchewan families by extending it to all forms of home heating, not just heating oil. It's only fair to other Saskatchewan and Canadian families. Hopefully that exemption will be provided soon. But if not, effective January the 1st, Sask Energy will stop collecting and submitting the carbon tax on natural gas, effectively providing Saskatchewan residents with the very same exemption that the federal government is giving heating oil in Atlantic Canada. Well, joining us now is the Saskatchewan Premier, Scott Moe. Premier, thank you for making the time this evening. Well, thank you so much, Michael. So here you are, uh, you're threatening to withhold collecting and then sending the carbon tax to Ottawa. You know, immediately I think, is this legal? or Are you willing to go to court to fight this one? Well, I, I think the first thing to identify with, Michael, is uh, this This is about fairness for all Canadian families, particularly for us. We're concerned with those families in, in Saskatchewan. And, and so we've always thought this carbon tax scheme is the wrong scheme. Um, but at least with the exception of Quebec was being um, fairly well um, <clears throat> or equitably uh, uh, put, in, put into action across Canada with the most recent changes in Atlantic Canada. That just simply isn't the case. There is uh, definitely a, an unfairness about how this policy is being uh, put into place. So it's still the wrong policy. Now it's being unfairly applied uh, to Canadians. And so what we have said to the federal government and asked the federal government to do is uh, to apply it more fairly to all forms of, uh, of, uh, of heat. That, uh, of heating that we uh, that we have across the nation, make it fair for for all Canadian families, including those in Saskatchewan. Um, should they not do that, uh, we will t- make every effort 
as uh, as a as a government of Saskatchewan uh, to ensure that Saskatchewan families are receiving the same or a similar benefit as they are in Atlantic Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because when you bring that up to, to Liberals, uh, I've been talking to, to, to a couple since uh, I saw your post on social media today. They will point to the fact that, one, it is home heating oil. So they argue that's a national program. And they also talk about the rural rebate and the doubling of that also being national. So when you say that it's not being fairly applied and they make the argument that it's national, how do you respond? Not being fairly applied. Forty uh, percent of our energy bills, our Sask energy bills for a Saskatchewan family, are are carbon tax related. Um, so um, that's being forgiven uh, in in uh, in uh, Atlantic Canada largely. And so they should apply this across all heating sources. Uh, we have electric heat in some areas, many northern and indigenous communities in Saskatchewan, propane heat uh, as well. Um, so our ask is for the federal government to apply this to all heating sources, regardless of how you heat your home, treat all Canadians equitably and fairly. Uh, and if you go back to the very basis of uh, how the government um, actually was able to enact this uh, tax uh, in in the very beginning. Um, One of the understandings was that the federal government needed to equitably apply the tax across the nation of Canada. They're not doing that anymore. It's not being applied fairly. It's not being applied equitably. Uh, And most certainly, if they want to address affordability concerns, uh, all Canadians are faced with uh, affordability concerns. And I'm sure all Canadians would like uh, to have the the carbon tax removed from their home heating bill. I know 40% of the bill would disappear here in Saskatchewan if they did that. And I think Saskatchewan families would greatly appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Are you worried, though, at all, Premier, that the argument that you're making might affect national unity, Uh, for example, pitting Saskatchewan against against Atlantic Canadians? Well, I I am worried that the federal government, uh, by by exempting one area of Canada predominantly uh, from their carbon tax scheme is doing just that. It is very divisive. Uh, It does, uh, in many cases, raise questions around uh, the unity of Canada and why the federal government uh, would ever uh, uh, treat Canadians differently. I don't understand it. Um, We're going to do what we can as a provincial government to to equalize that playing field, if you will, and to uh, do everything that we can to provide uh, some affordability measures for Saskatchewan residents. That would match what the federal government uh, has done now for uh, people largely in Atlantic Canada. Now, now you say again that you will withhold the carbon tax effective January the 1st. Uh, beyond that date, what kind of timeline are you looking for? Are you looking for a progress of, of talks? What's at the, on the table here? Well, we would hope uh, that it doesn't come to that. We would hope that the federal government uh, does extend uh, their their pause, their three-year pause, uh, to to all Canadians, uh, including those in Saskatchewan. And I think that's the the decision point that the that needs to happen uh, at the federal level with the coalition government that we have uh, here today. Is uh, you know, are they going to treat Canadian families equitably and treat them the same regardless of where they live? Um, should that not happen, we have a plan uh, here in Saskatchewan uh, that we most certainly will follow so that Saskatchewan families are treated fairly. Um, but ag- again, at, at the end of the day, um, this the ball is in the federal government's court. Uh, they started this conversation climbing down from a policy that we always thought uh, was the wrong policy. Um, and now most certainly is it not only the wrong policy, but it's certainly being applied unfairly to Saskatchewan families. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm wondering if Ottawa has responded in any way to, to what you posted on social media. And, and I appreciate it's just a few hours old now, but, but have you heard anything? No, uh, which isn't out of the, the, the norm. 
I, I think uh, Ottawa is, uh, you know, not in the habit of reaching out to Saskatchewan uh, for revi- advice, responses, or anything. And, and listen, I, I, the province of Saskatchewan, myself as premier, our government, uh, we don't need to start a fight with uh, with the federal government. And this isn't about fighting with the federal government. We have much that we disagree on. Um, this is about fairness for families, and our concern is Saskatchewan families who are uh, being excluded from uh, from from a pause on the carbon tax on the fuel that they're using to heat their home. And that is unlike what is happening in Atlantic Canada. Uh, we think there's just an inherent unfairness in that. And what we're making, uh, you know, decisions that we can uh, as, as a government of Saskatchewan to bring some fairness back to that conversation. We would ask the federal government to do that on a national level. They are a national government for, for all Canadians, regardless of what their Minister of Rural Economic Development feels, uh, that, that you need a Liberal in order to be represented at the national level. We feel the federal government should represent all Canadians equally. Um, if they don't provincial governments will and that's what we've indicated we'll do premier scott mo always appreciate the time thank you for this hey, thank you so much michael you have a wonderful day you too well let's go to the foyer of the house of commons now and speak to three mps about the matter joining us now are daryl sampson parliamentary secretary to the minister of rural economic development melissa lansman the deputy leader of the conservative party and peter julian the ndp house leader hello to the three of you Hi, how are you, you, Peter? Uh, Michael. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, listen, I, I, Mr. Samson, I'm going to start with you because I do want to begin with your reaction to Premier Mo's accusation here that the exemption that your government is making for home oil heating is creating two classes of taxpayers because it mainly benefits Atlantic Canadians and ignores the affordability challenges faced by the people in his province. First of all, let me start off by saying I'm a member of Parliament for Atlantic Canada and I'm here to defend Atlantic Canadians and that's what I do every day on behalf of Atlantic Canadians. But what he needs to understand is that he needs to come to the table and join the federal government so that we can put programs in each province right across the country to support uh, Canadians. This is a very important issue. We have four, a uh, package of four programs. His rural communities right across the province of uh, Saskatchewan, right across Canada, is benefiting from those programs and will benefit from those programs as well. So it's not uh, one area over the other, but I'm a defender, of course, of Atlantic Canada. I keep fighting for Atlantic Canadians. Atlantic Canadians are, are pressing on affordability. Of course, there is uh, many more Atlantic Canadians per ratio that's still on oil, and we need to bring that transition. This is going to accelerate the process to cleaner energy, which is extremely important. And as far as rural communities, uh, our percentage is much higher than anywhere else across the country. So this program, yes, there's some pieces for Atlantic Canadians, but if they come to the table, the provinces, they can also join in and be part of the solution. And that's the type of approach that our government is taking. And when I talk to my citizens in my riding, they tell me how difficult it is. They're telling me how we need to be there to support them. We've been there through COVID and we've been there today and we'll be there tomorrow to support all Canadians. Okay, uh, Ms. Lansman, what do you say to that? Because yes, you hear from the governing Liberals that this is meant to be a national program. There's also the rural rebate. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Because clearly Scott Moe is willing to withhold the, the, the collection and the distribution of the carbon tax here. Mr. Mr. Moe's uh, accusation is not an accusation. It's just a fact. And if this is a national program, well, it's some national program because it doesn't include 97% of Canadians. The Minister of Rural Economic Development, uh, Goody Hutchins, she's from Newfoundland. She was out this weekend saying 
If you, uh, you know, if you want to get on board, you gotta vote liberal. So of course, this is creating two classes of taxpayers. It's creating two two classes. It's an admission of failure that the carbon tax a costs you money, b is ineffective, uh, and three. Why not get rid of it for all Canadians? That's exactly what a common sense conservative government would do. So this, the choice is pretty easy here. Okay, Mr. Julian, what, what do you make of this home heating oil carve out and the rural rebate? Uh, is it creating two classes of uh, Canadian taxpayers? Well, the, the interesting thing from Ms. Lansman's comments is a year ago, the NDP brought forward an amendment to do just that, to take the GST off home heating or quite across the country. Conservatives blocked it, Liberals didn't support it. So a year later, now they seem to be moving to where the NDP was and Jug Meet Singh was a year ago because we've seen how people are struggling to make ends meet. We've seen how people are struggling to keep a roof over their head and at the same time we've seen and, and this happened under the Harper government, the, Mr. Polyev was part of it, the Harper handouts of billions and billions of dollars to oil and gas CEOs rather than making the investments in clean energy, which is so critical to actually okay, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, fighting back are you against, against Are you against this, this, this home heating oil exemption then? We, we proposed this a year ago, and Conservatives and Liberals wouldn't accept it. And a year later now, both the Liberals and Conservatives seem to be moving in the direction of the NDP. Why didn't they do it a year ago? Mm -hmm. You know, Mr. Sampson, I'll bring you in here again because, you know, Ms. Lansman referenced the fact that the argument is now being made that this exemption that your government is putting forward proves that your carbon tax is not revenue neutral because if the carbon tax rebate actually gave equal or more of what Canadians paid out, you wouldn't be forced to make this concession in the first place. Well, it makes me laugh when I hear conservatives, they don't believe that climate change is here, that it's real. And in Atlantic Canada, we've seen the challenges with the hurricanes and the flooding, and we need to react, and the Atlantic Canadians understand that. But the Conservatives, they had a chance. Only two weeks ago, C-49 was on the table, where we could have made some changes to bring in offshore wind, which is, would be the first one in Canada. This would change to clean energy tomorrow morning. It's trillions of dollars of investment there, good paying job for Atlantic Canadians and all Canadians, and they voted against it. So we can talk, but the action is, what are you going to do to help Canadians? And this is what we're doing with this program. But I think the, the arguments being made here, Mr. Sampson, despite what you're saying about wind energy, is that at the end of the day, what you're doing proves that your carbon tax is not uh, revenue neutral for Canadians and it's costing them money. Absolutely not. There's money rebates for everyone as well. But this is another change that's allowing us to move forward in, in another way. So if we're challenged with the uh, heating oil, that it's available, like I said, the program, if the provinces want to come on board like the Atlantic Canadian provinces and put some money on the table so that we can make that transition. It's about accelerating the transition. That's the key that we have here and this is the program that will do it and we're doing it for all Canadians if they come to the table. But they have in some provinces. Ms. Lansman, what do you make table. of that? What oh, do you make of that, Ms. Lansman? Because they are making this argument that at the end of the day, uh, this is about getting more people off of home he heating oil, which is a carbon heavy source of heat. Look, we've got Mr. Julian here sitting pretending that he hasn't voted for every single carbon tax increase in this country that has raised the, the, the price of gas, groceries, home heating, and everything you buy. You and, then you've got, and then you've got Mr. Sampson here who pretends that this is a revenue neutral tax, that the, minister, that the Prime Minister came out into this very lobby on a Thursday afternoon when his poll numbers are in the gutter to make changes to because 
because Atlantic Canada, Canadians need a break because they're paying, a, they're paying and they will eventually pay the quadruple amount of carbon tax because both of these parties together in a coalition decide to vote you to increase it. So there is one party there is, that is going the to... The, that. That is yeah, going, and, and the polling numbers, the Conservatives are seeing okay, an okay, okay. Can we stop, stop, yeah. stop, 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 stop. So Finish I, I, very quickly, I gave them, I gave them a, a chance to speak. I hope they'll afford me that same opportunity. There is one party that is going to take the carbon tax off for every single Canadian. That's the Conservative Party, and it's not these two coalition okay, parties. Okay, Mr. Julian. Well, I mean, the Conservatives uh, a year ago blocked the NDP's motion to take the GST off home heating fuel. So that the reality is we take no lessons from the Conservatives. We also know that over the, the nine dismal years of the Harper government, they poured billions of dollars into handouts for the oil and gas CEOs and, and quite frankly, did absolutely nothing to fight back against climate change. We're living that now in British Columbia with the atmospheric rivers, with the heat dome that killed 600 people in my riding and in the, in the area around round. Conservatives were a disaster for the environment and a disaster for people's pocketbooks. And now the Liberals are improvising, I, I think, from one day to the next. The fact is, the in, ensuring a transition means investing in clean energy. The, the reality of, of doing what the NDP asked for a year ago it, it isn't going to bring about the transition and the clean energy jobs that we want to see. And so the incoherence of this Liberal government and the contradiction and hypocrisy of the Conservatives, I think, should lead Canadians to the conclusion that only the NDP can actually make sure that people are, can put food on the table, keep a roof over their head, and we can combat climate change in an effective way. Okay, listen, I, I appreciate you guys bringing up each other's past voting records, but I'm going to go down the road, quickly running out of time here. But now that we have this exemption from the federal government on its own carbon tax, will the Liberals be forced to make more concessions in order to get Canadians on side and not as offended as some are right now. Uh, Mr. Sampson, 40 seconds to you. Again, I can't repeat this again uh, more often than I've just said. They need to come to the table. The provinces need to come to the table and work with the federal government so that we can help all Canadians about affordability. But let's not forget, this is a federation. This government is focused on how can we help some provinces. But will that might you be, be forced to make more concessions? But will you be forced to make more concessions as a result of this one concession you're making on home oil eating? The, the package is for all Canadians. If they come to the table, there's no concession. They'll get the programs and they'll move forward. If they want but to it help, it benefits Atlantic Canadians more than anybody else does. Well, Atlantic Canadians are faced with a greater challenge right now. As I said earlier, for they the have a higher percentage of rural communities, which is a big number. Uh, a higher percentage of seniors. The challenges are there, so as we're trying to move to the transition, we need to help them. And we're helping them, but the, t the program is there for Canadians. Okay. You've got to come to the table and negotiate. Okay, Ms. Lassman, do you think uh, the, the, the Trudeau Liberals are going to have to make more concessions here? This is incoherent nonsense. It's an admission of failure. It's an admission that the Prime Minister put his political fortunes above those of 97% of Canadians. So we look forward to a government one day that will actually ax the tax for every single Canadian, like these guys are hopefully going to be forced to do. Okay, Mr. Julian. Nothing Mr. Julian, Mr. Julian. Well, it's certainly not going to be a Conservative government. We saw a year ago how they blocked the NDP attempt to take the GST off home heating fuel. But the reality is this announcement has been incoherent and confusing. And, and I think it's, it's absolutely important that this government now uh, makes it clear who, is, who benefits from this particular initiative. Uh, they seem to be improvising. What they need to do is, is follow NDP direction. The NDP direction was a year ago. 
uh, liberals are, are basically trying to catch up and they should have followed what we put forward a year ago when they had the chance. Okay, well, that's the time we have for this evening. Uh, thank you to the three of you for joining us. Daryl Sampson, Melissa Lansman, Peter Julian, always appreciate the time. Thank, thank you. you. Time now for a look at the other stories making headlines today. Unifor announced a tentative deal with automaker Stellantis this morning, ending a brief strike that began yesterday as more than 8,000 auto workers walked off the job after initial negotiations for better pay and pension plans fell through. And the eight-day strike that shut down the St. Lawrence Seaway is now over as well. Unifor and the Seaway's management announcing a deal to end that dispute last night. Both agreements now go to union membership for ratification. The tectonic plates of the world order are shifting beneath our feet, and the structures that are built upon them are fracturing. Well, that was the Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie speaking at the Economic Club of Canada in Toronto. Now, the minister was addressing global threats and says they will be met by engaging in pragmatic diplomacy. But as you heard, she also repeated her call for a humanitarian truce in the Israeli-Hamas war. And extremist settlers' attacks continue in the West Bank and must stop. Like all states, of course, Israel has a right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. It has an obligation to do so in accordance with international law. For even in crisis, there are principles, and even in war, there are rules. Meanwhile, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had this to say about international calls for a ceasefire. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Israeli troops and tanks are advancing deeper into the Gaza Strip as calls continue for a humanitarian pause to allow fuel, food and water to be brought into the territory. Meanwhile, in Ottawa, families of Israelis with roots in Canada who were killed or abducted by Hamas urge Canada to support the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. We hope the Canadian government and the Canadian people um, can help us First of all, bring the hostages back, and this is really the, the simplest piece of this very, very complicated um, situation. And Justice for All Canada, a group that advocates for minority Muslims around the world, wants Ottawa to push for an immediate ceasefire in the conflict zone to prevent further civilian casualties. I'd like to ask the Prime Minister, Cabinet, and his fellow world leaders, with respect, when is your conscience going to wake up? When are you going to call for an immediate ceasefire? In Edmonton, Alberta MLAs are back in the legislature for the first time since the May election, as Premier Danielle Smith used the throne speech to warn Ottawa about environmental regulations as it pertains to energy. If the federal government continues down its current path, Alberta's government will over the coming months, introduce several motions under the Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. Already, Alberta is campaigning against the federal regulations that aim to create a countrywide clean energy grid by 2035. 
to the labor front now as two big tentative deals have been reached. One with automaker Stellantis that had workers walking off the job yesterday. The other with the St. Lawrence Seaway where workers walked off the job more than a week ago. Well, Lana Payne is the national president for Unifor, the union that represented workers at both those strikes. Lana, good to see you. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. So uh, a busy weekend for your union, two big settlements reach. Uh, let's begin here with Stellantis because it didn't look so good yesterday afternoon when thousands of workers walked off the job. What happened between yesterday afternoon and this morning? It's amazing what a strike will do to get an employer to pay attention at the table. And uh, of course, we were making progress, Michael, there's no doubt about it, uh, but we had set a deadline for midnight and uh, there was no way that we were going to get through uh, the bulk of issues that we had left uh, close to our deadline. Uh, so we basically, uh, you know, went on strike in order to get this tentative agreement over the finish line. And uh, and we worked furiously uh, through the night, our, our bargaining committees, uh, subcommittee tables, uh, local tables. Uh, we were all throughout the hotel uh, trying uh, our best to, to get this done as quickly as possible and uh, and managed uh, to get uh, to get that tentative agreement at 7 a.m. This now, morning, uh, 7 a.m. this morning, as you say, and to my understanding, of course, you, you have not re released the details quite yet. But my understanding is that it, it essentially follows similar deals with both GM and Ford. So, so I'm kind of wondering, what precedent do you think this sets for auto workers in this country? Now that you've negotiated these deals with the big three, how does it position auto workers for the future? Uh, it's really incredible what's been achieved in these uh, collective agreements for our members on, on a number of fronts, Michael, from wages, uh, seeing the kind of uh, significant wage increases that we have for both production workers and skilled trades over a three-year uh, period, so between 19 and 25 percent uh, plus. We've negotiated uh, cost of living allowances on top of that. Uh, we negotiated the first real uh, pension increases uh, for all members uh, for the first time in 15 years. And of course, one of the very big important things, uh, both uh, at Ford, uh, General Motors, and now at Stellantis, was how do we uh, support our workers through this EV tr transition? And uh, we uh, negotiated a very strong uh, transition supports, income security, uh, for our members uh, through, through the transition period. And in this case, that's going to be critical for our members at the Brampton Assembly Plant. Uh, so all in all, these are pretty uh, significant deals. And what I would say to you, is it's transformative right now uh, for the for the auto and manufacturing uh, sector in the country. Okay. Now, now, before we're out of time, I do also want to talk about the St. Lawrence Seaway workers because a, a tentative deal has been reached there. Uh, salary increases were, were also a part of that package, to my understanding. Why was it necessary to go on strike uh, eight days ago? Uh, this is uh, an incredible story. Uh, these workers uh, have not been on strike in 55 years. Uh, which I think is a reflection of the fact that, uh, you know, they work really hard uh, when they get to the bargaining table to avoid uh, taking such action. Uh, but it was impossible uh, in this round of bargaining. Not only uh, was the economic offer not there, uh, in fact, it was insulting, uh, something around 6% over three years, uh, which is where it had started.
start it. And uh, of course, the bigger issue we had here uh, were the repeated uh, violations of the collective agreement over the past number of years, uh, which had resulted in uh, what I've been calling a toxic workplace. And both of these things had to be addressed in, in bargaining. And I'm happy to say with the support of uh, federal uh, mediation services, uh, we were able to reach a, a tentative agreement uh, for these members uh, on, on Sunday. Uh, but I will, what I will say is that uh, this should have been done on Friday when we first got back to the table. Uh, the deal was in sight. Uh, we knew it. And, uh, and the employer dragged its feet all through the weekend. Okay, but a tentative deal has, has now been reached. Uh, it, like Stellantis, needs to be ratified by workers. You know, I, what's common here is the fact that there were wage demands, and, and I assume they, they were met because, again, you're bringing it to, to the workers to, to vote on. But we've also heard the Bank of Canada governor essentially warn us that these kinds of wage increases are adding to inflationary pressures. What do you say to that? Well, there's absolutely no uh, proof that wages are uh, an inflationary factor right now. In fact, workers are still trying to catch up and and restore purchasing power to to their wages lost to inflation. And I think the bigger problem we have right now, not wages at all, it, it's the fact that these interest rates are actually compounding the problem and making life uh, more unaffordable uh, than than it currently is. And and the challenge uh, for us as unions. Uh, is that is adding pressure uh, to what it is we have to achieve uh, at the bargaining table. So these interest rates uh, not only uh, now are part of the problem in terms of causing inflation themselves, uh, but are really uh, applying pressure to what it is that we have to achieve uh, for working people when we, when we go to the bargaining table. Well, Lana, I know uh, it's been a sleepless weekend for you, so really appreciate the time this evening. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, and take care. You too. The president of Unifor, Lana Payne. And that is our program for this Monday evening. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. I'm Michael Sarabio. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow. But up next, Esther Bejin avec L'Essentiel.